As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Scott Kessler joins us now, Vice President and Global Sector Lead for Technology Media and Telecommunications at Third Bridge. Scott, I want to start here. They've agreed a price. He secured a deal. Can they close this transaction? You know, I think a lot of people are expecting that this deal will close. I think yesterday at their all-hands meeting, they talked about within six months. Um, that seems somewhat arbitrary, but it seems like the perception is that they, in fact, will close this transaction. Musk has uh, filed documentation related to uh, the elements of the financing. Uh, I think Morgan Stanley is involved in that process. Will others come in? Uh, that remains to be seen. But I think the conventional wisdom is, in fact, that this deal will be consummated. Scott, you know, I, I look at the back of the envelope work you're acclaimed on, and I want you to do the back of the envelope work on where a Tesla price generates the mother of all potential margin calls in the history of Wall Street. Um, our people have, you know, run it out nicely here, Tom Maloney and, uh, uh, and uh, Creighton Harrison. And the bottom line is, if Tesla goes down, how much is Mr. Musk at risk given 58 gazillion shares? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I haven't done that math, um, but I can tell you that that would seem to be a risk. Obviously, if you look at um, the source of Musk's wealth um, and some of this financing, it is directly related um, to his holdings in Tesla. So it would seem that would be a vulnerability um, to the extent that um, he has potentially hedged that investment. I don't have any direct knowledge of that. I would encourage you to reach out to him or um, <laughs> his will, representatives on, on that. that front. John, ask the next question. I'm going to call Elon right now. You're going to call Elon Musk? <laughs> Elon, Lisa, Scott have you got, have you got a tweet number? him directly, Tom. Can That's we get hold of suggest. Elon Musk, Lisa, have you got that number? Yeah, of course. We'll work on that in the break. Uh, Scott, I do wonder, though, how much uh, Twitter is actually worth, right? Whether we have a sense of how much Elon Musk is overpaying at a time when the board took this deal and ran because it was probably the best deal they could have gotten. Yeah, you know, that's a, uh, a topic that I think hasn't been talked about quite as much. Um, and I think it, it's important to understand when this whole process began, I think a lot of people just assumed, oh, Musk is looking to buy Twitter. That's interesting. My take was kind of like, hey, this is the beginning of a process 
Twitter's board is now obligated to uh, engage with advisors and reach out to third parties about their potential interests. I think what's noteworthy, as you point out, is it doesn't seem like there was much other um, activity around participating in a buyout of Twitter, separate from what Musk is doing. And in fact, what Musk indicated was in fact 5420. That was the initial offer. That was the last offer. That was the agreed, the agreed to offer. Um, that I think strongly suggests that this was by far not only the most compelling offer, but perhaps the only one. Scott Kessler of Third Bridge. Scott, thank you, buddy. As always, good to catch up. Brian Weiss is going to join us now, the Global President for Business Intelligence at Group M. Brian, great to catch up with you, buddy. We've been talking about this through the morning. We've agreed a price. Now the board's going to recommend it to shareholders. I want to understand from Musk's financing position whether this is a transaction you think is going to close with ease or not. Mm, it's a good question. I really wonder uh, what the plan is with respect to the debt, because the company of this size can't really sustain as much debt as they're planning to raise, right? So at the same time, it's pretty clear that what he wants to do is something that would be, mm-hmm. shall we say, negative for the actual business advertising, which is obviously our business. Uh, and that's to say, um, you know, I really, really wonder, because he's got to find equity to take that out, presumably. And then are the equity, other equity investors in the future going to be as um, oriented around uh, Musk would be on uh, less advertising in the business? Brian, that's do you have, the thing that's uncertain to me. Brian, do you have a sense of what other interest there is in uh, equity ownership alongside Musk? I've only seen the reports that you have, uh, I'm sure. Um, you know, clearly there's a lot of capital out there. And so it's not, it's absolutely not implausible or impossible by any stretch of the imagination. But I think it's just the thing that stands out to me in this transaction. Brian, I'm holding up my phone on radio here, folks, worldwide. I'm holding up my phone and I got Google Play advertisement on Twitter with a cutesy pie video. 42 people had to put this ad together. It's just promoted down at the bottom. Brian, is that what an Elon Musk ad is going to look like on Twitter? You have to imagine. And, and I think another big question is, is he going to spend three years uh, proverbially sleeping on the floor of, uh, of a Twitter headquarters, maybe not in San Francisco, but uh, wherever they are, uh, helping them evolve what the product is? Um, they've got very capable people, of course. Um, the question, an important question is how involved does he really plan to be in evolving what Twitter is? There's about $2.50 of doubt between where the price is in the free market at the moment or about $2 or so. <clears throat> And what the offer price is. Is that pretty normal, Brian? A $2 spread like that? That, that, that was really wide. And I, again, I understand this, uh, the skepticism that's out there given uh, what we've seen in the past. And again, the, the example I just laid out uh, as, as well, like there, there's, this is far greater, there's far greater uncertainty than uh, other transactions I've seen of this nature. Brian, great to catch up, buddy. Let's talk soon. Brian Weezy there of Group M. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is a great joy right now. Michael Mayo joins us to say he's senior equity analyst at Wells Fargo, barely describes his contribution to bank and financial security analysis. Long ago and far away, I met him when he was at Credit Suisse on one of his journeys. That was uh, fractious, to say the least. And he joins us this morning with perspective on Citigroup and the Jane Fraser Challenge. Let's look at the ratios, and they're a little bit apples to oranges here. But I got a Citigroup price to book of a 0.55 off the Bloomberg. J.P. Morgan shining bright at 1.44. And Mike Mayo, I'm sorry, Credit Suisse, and I get it, it's a different calculation, is 0.40. Fortress Fraser is pretty much on the cusp of being a, of, of, of being a Credit Suisse. Well, there's a chance to do something about it today. Today is Citigroup's annual shareholder meeting. I have my one share of stock, which allows me to ask questions at the annual meeting. Unfortunately, um, there's some issues with this meeting. First of all, it's, it's a virtual meeting, which they said they did for the, quote, convenience of shareholders. How's it convenient when shareholders cannot even attend uh, in person? And then there's the formal proposals. Proposal number one, the election of the board. I'm saying fire Citigroup's board. At least fire the 11 of 15 members who were in place four years ago when at the same meeting, Citigroup said their restructuring is done. Now today, under the new right. CEO, City is spending over ten billion dollars. That's my estimate, over ten billion dollars to restructure again. Looking so at if you had a, I mean, just fire the board. This is okay, it. Yeah, but, but Mike, okay. Quarter. Let's be constructive here. You want to throw Peter Blair Henry out in the street. He's been a good guest of us, of course, his contribution to New York University and all. Besides that, he was a good basketball player. You want to throw Peter Blair Henry out in the street. What makes up a good board for Jane Frazier? What do the new members have to look like? Well, each individual person on Citigroup's board may be fine in their own right, but collectively they've failed to get the job done. You need new, fresh perspectives. You need people with finance experience, especially technology experience, governance, and we need people who are going to be really shareholders advocate because Citigroup, for the last year, five years, 10 years, and 50 years has had worst in class efficiency, returns, and stock market performance. And Tom, as you well know, uh, we've talked about this a lot on the show, um, Citigroup has not been looking after the interests of shareholders. They've been protecting management, employees, might be a great place to be a customer, but when it comes to shareholders, it, they're getting the, the the bad end of the stick. Mike, can you be more specific about what you hope they do? Is it cut salaries? Is it cut staff? Is it shrink in terms of the footprint and where their uh, operations are as they invest in financial technology? Or is it something more intangible than that? 
Well, the good news is that the new CEO, Jane Frazier, has the potential to be the ultimate change agent. So Citigroup is selling their consumer operations in Asia. They look to sell their consumer business in Mexico. I've been calling for that for a decade. Uh, they are focused on gaining share. They're in 100 countries. They're looking at gaining share in banking, payments, and capital markets with multinational and cross-border companies. That's a great goal. They're more focused on that now. But I'm saying a restructuring that stops at the management level is a restructuring that does not go far enough. When it comes to Citigroup, we're talking to yet another CEO with yet another restructuring plan. At one point, you have to say, who's overseeing the overseers? And to that end, we need you know fresh blood on the board. It will be interesting to see if you know any of the, the directors you know, get less than say 95%, get less 90% of approval. The 11 directors who were there uh, four years ago when they said everything's, you know, hunky-dory, um, will they get a less approval rate uh, than the four uh, that have been new since then? So this is the uh, stepchild of the earnings season, it seems like, in your view. Who is the winner of the bank earnings season so far? Well, I'll tell you, I cannot believe Bank of America is performing as well as they are. And here's another example where I thought the CEO should be fired uh, about a decade ago, Brian Moynihan, and now he is on top. Uh, this is a 10, 15, and 30-year story. It's been 10 years of retooling with technology that allows them to improve their profit margin. It's been 15 years of de-risking since the global financial crisis, so their loan quality uh, is stronger on. for longer. Mike, and it's been 30, 30 years since they formed a national bank that allows them to gain I, deposit I, share like Mike, that. Mike, I said this on air the other day. you got to give Mr. Moynihan a little bit of credit. Besides, he had great boxes at Fenway Park. The bottom line is what he was handed from Ken Lewis was absolutely a shambles, wasn't it? Yeah, but also I would say if I went back, you put me back in, you know, 2012, 2013, I'd still say he should have been fired or not gotten the chairmanship. Oh, I don't think he's ready to be CEO, but he has grown into the position better than any CEO that I, I've ever okay. covered in my 30 years. What's your single best buy right now? It's not well, it's Bank of America, Bank of America, Bank of America, Bank of America. I cannot believe that with all these interest rate hikes uh, that benefit Bank of America more than any other large bank, that this stock is down so much year to day. Okay, how's so. he doing on digital? How's he doing compared to me? I mean, Jamie Dimon's writing 44 pages on an annual report. Brian Moynihan's given us one paragraph that, you know, seven people have sanitized. How's he doing on digital? You know what? Brian Moynihan does not talk the talk, but he walks the walk. And I'd rather that... Uh, over the alternative and digital banking. Bank of America is one of the digital banking leaders. You can talk about neobanks, you can talk about fintech, you can talk about big tech, but Bank of America is gaining market share digitally and they're building deeper digital relationships in addition to acquiring new customers. Mike, if you were wrong about Moynihan back in the day, why do you think you're not wrong about City now and won't be in 10 years time? Well, I feel good about Jane Frazier's you know, redirecting city and putting them on a better long-term path. I just don't feel good enough that they are looking out for shareholders enough. I'd like to see managers at Citigroup put more skin in the game. Let's see them buy more Citigroup stock, you know, what Jamie Dimon would do back in the day. Uh, let's see the board put pressure on management. Let's, by the way, proposal number two today, uh, 
reconfirms their auditor, KPMG. KPMG has been in place for 53 years, yet the new regulatory consent order says they have internal deficiencies. Proposal number two, vote no. Proposal number three, they have a special comp plan, a transformational bonus plan. Vote no. So vote no today. Proposal one, the election of directors. Proposal two, the um, auditor. And proposal three, the compensation. So I just want to see someone overseeing the overseers. So um, yeah, you can. I, I need someone to protect my interest owning, you know, my, oh, John, my share of stock. John, do you think Mike Mayo got a fruitcake from Citigroup one Christmas and it didn't work out? It was a little stale. I'm, I'm not sure he even got that. Mike, thank you. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising healthcare costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, we're going to do earnings stateside right now. And to get us started on this, Lizanne Saunders joins us to get equity coverage started this morning. Chief Investment Strategist at Charles Schwab. Lizanne, let me start with the Schwab wheelhouse. What are we doing with our money right now? We've got two once-in-a-lifetime events, a pandemic and a serious war. What do you see in flows at Charles Schwab? Um, fairly steady. And, and what we're seeing is actually consistent with some uh, broader industry data on the interesting dynamic and relationship between attitudinal measures of sentiment. So if you look at a survey like AAII uh, a week ago, that hit the lowest percentage of bulls since 1992. So and we find that what what our investors are saying, the kinds of questions they're asking suggest mm -hmm. a lot of concern. But when you look at uh, flows, when you look at a metric like the equity only put call ratio, you have seen a pickup in some nervousness, but nowhere near to the same degree as what you're seeing in some of those attitudinal surveys. So not a lot of right. shifting around of the money, but an expression of concern. And, and that's the right. complete opposite of what happened in March of 2020, when people were just dumping everything, but actually didn't express as much concern. So it's just, it, it's an interesting mirror image. In honor of El Eric Belchunas' new book on John Bogle, let me ask you the passive active question right now. Given the uncertainties out there, the epsilon and the back end of the algebra, does Lizanne Saunders go passive and hide, or do you actually try to find active management to get things done? We we always advocate for a little bit of a blend, and it also depends on what your overall objectives are. But I think the playing field is much more level now, active relative to passive. I think there's a, an improving opportunity for active to 
um, add some relative performance here. And that's uh, not been the case, obviously, for many years. You're seeing a widening out, uh, more of a dispersion, even among some of the, the large cap, the you know, the super seven kind of names, much more dispersion in terms of performance. And you're seeing it through earnings season, too. If you go to the tails, the companies that have missed earnings by at least 20 percent have gotten absolutely hammered versus the companies that have beaten by more than 20% have done better, although not as well as has typically been the case over the past 20 years or so. But I think there are opportunities now where active for the first time in a while um, actually is is playing on at least a level field. Lizanne, can you elaborate on that? The fact that uh, upside beats on earnings have not been rewarded in the way that they traditionally have. Do you view this as, frankly, investors being forward-looking and seeing some danger ahead? Or do you view this as people being overly pessimistic and not swooping into real opportunities? I think it is in large part due to the sentiment environment, but also where we are in the cycle, the monetary policy cycle, rising interest rates, putting downward pressure on more highly valued segments of the market. Some of the really heightened speculative money that had fueled lower quality areas, maybe not being as uh, playful in the market right now. So I think it's it's a lot to do with where we are in the cycle, but I think it is uh, some sentiment. And I think that does create opportunities. In fact, I think this very pessimistic sentiment environment, at least on the attitudinal side, does provide some support for the market here. It's one of the few positives that you can point to is just that sentiment has shifted um, toward the, the bearish camp. You typically need a catalyst for sentiment to act as a contrarian indicator. I'm not sure we have one imminently, but uh, that's not a bad backdrop than if everybody was still wildly bullish here. Given the backdrop, Lizanne, of the macro dominance, do you see an opportunity in big tech, especially as we're expecting to see pretty strong earnings? Well, it depends on, on how you define uh, tech. Within tech, and on a year-to-date basis, last three or four months, it's actually value factors that are outperforming. I, I look at the Bloomberg factors on a, on a day-to-day basis, and there's that value dominance <clears throat> even in a sector like tech. So I think you can still look in some of the so-called growthier sectors but with a sort of a value mindset. There's this misperception out there that if you say value, you're looking for value, that you're limited to the sectors or areas that happen to be housed in the value indexes. You know, a a reverse example of that is utilities. Defensive sector obviously been doing well, but utilities right now are more expensive by a pretty wide margin than the S&P. That doesn't mean they've become growth stocks. They still live in the value indexes. They just don't offer a lot of value. So you can look for value and quality and not limit yourselves to what lives in the value indexes. Uh, Listen, UPS, I don't want you to talk about individual stocks, but UBS plans to, quote, double amount of share repurchase for this year. Give me the use of cash update. So, you know, we had a record year um, last year. We were set up for that. But you've seen some companies uh, start to back off of that, whether it's uh, sort of the optics or some sort of political pressure. But I I agree with you. What you said, uh, I think, was during the the break. Maybe nobody else uh, heard it. But uh, with you in in my ear, I think, you know, a company like uh, UPS is certainly a bellwether, especially in this kind of market uh, environment. Um, Maybe that suggests that there aren't more productive uses for the cash from a longer term capital spending uh, standpoint. Um, I'll have to see more of their commentary. And John, what's so important here is to understand that Lizanne Saunders is a required listener on radio, on television, because she's the only one I know who's actually read the 400 pages on Led Zeppelin over her left shoulder. (laughs) 
And she's welcome back, Tom, so long as she doesn't repeat anything else she might have heard in the commercial break. That's true. Lizanne Saunders, a charge 12. Lizanne, good to hear from you. Hi, guys. As always, fantastic. Nobody ever says, make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Right now, and yes, the Parchment is from Cambridge in the London School of Economics, but far more, she is from the north of England. She has a nodding acquaintance with a football team at Preston North End. She is the United Kingdom ambassador to the United States. Karen Pierce joins us with extraordinary service to her nation at the United Nations. Karen, you are so qualified, ambassador, to this question. Is it every nation for itself right now against Mr. Putin? No, I think um, it would be a huge mistake to think this is the end of collective security. Uh, but Putin has done serious violence to the international world order, uh, as well as to Ukraine. Uh, but those bonds that bring NATO together, uh, the ties that bring the UN together, uh, they're still there. There's damage because of Mr. Putin uh, at the UN, but I don't think this is the end of collective security. Among others, the Times of London today notes a partition here of Ukraine using British weapons. Does that bring the United Kingdom closer to direct confrontation with Mr. Putin? Um, no, I don't. I don't think so. Um, under the UN Charter, uh, which, if you like, is the guide uh, for international relations and international affairs, under the UN Charter, Ukraine has every right to ask other countries for help, uh, and we are responding to that. Uh, other NATO allies, like the US, obviously, also France and Germany, Czech Republic, uh, we're all responding so that Ukraine can defend itself. Not so that we can go and fight the Russians, but so Ukraine has all the tools she needs to defend herself. But, you know, let's be clear, we're in, we're in this situation uh, because Mr. Putin chose to violate international law and international norms and invade Ukraine. Ambassador, this is a delicate question, but I do wonder in the face of some of the unity that we see from the outside of NATO, how delicate the conversations are with the U.S. and the United Kingdom, with Germany about perhaps curtailing some of the purchases of oil and gas from Russia. It's a difficult question, um, more for countries like Germany than for the U.K. We only get around 3 to 4 percent of our fuel from Russian hydrocarbons. Um, the Germans obviously uh, have a much higher proportion. Uh, but gradually over time, we will work out a transition away from Russian hydrocarbons, away from dependency. This is the sort of work that's been done in G7. It's not going to be overnight, but we are going to accelerate that transition. 
How important is it, uh, Ambassador, for nations like the U.S. and like the United Kingdom to help Germany in this transition to ease the pain in the short term as Germany has come out and basically said the Bundesbank that they're going to go into recession if they actually ban immediately oil and gas imports from Russia? Uh, we are all helping each other, just as we have NATO uh, on the collective security side. Uh, so the um, G7 uh, is helping uh, countries like Germany uh, manage this transition. Uh, the UK and the US are doing more to get LNG into Europe. Uh, when I was in Baltimore recently, I was at the port. You can see a big LNG terminal there uh, that will be piped to the UK and we will pipe it on uh, to Germany and other countries in Europe. So we're trying very hard. We've also released some of our strategic oil reserves. Ambassador, from another time and place, there is the British Navy, and I think it's been undercovered here. Yes, there's the Black Sea and the distance of the Black Sea and such, but there's also the tensions of Finland and Sweden. Explain to us what the United Kingdom can do to keep the seas open of the Baltic Sea and then up north across Norway to Russia. What can be the projection the United Kingdom can do to provide for peaceful northern seas? Uh, that's such a good question, keeping the seas open. And of course, it's not just in and around Europe uh, that freedom of navigation is under threat. Uh, we see that elsewhere around the world. But you're absolutely right. Freedom of navigation has been a central plank of economic development of nations uh, for centuries. Uh, as you also say, Britain is a maritime nation. Uh, that's our history. It's in our DNA. We take freedom of navigation very seriously. Uh, we send our ships round the world to uphold that right of freedom of navigation, as does the United States. So a large part of what we do uh, in the Baltic Sea is about just being there and asserting the right of freedom of navigation. Ambassador, just to reflect on Germany's decisions over the last couple of decades, many people warned them about their dependence on Russian energy, those warnings were ignored. They've clearly made a policy mistake. The Greeks also made a policy mistake 20 or so years ago, and they were punished with austerity by the Europeans. They had to make some terrible decisions that plunged their economy into a depression. Why are we treating Germany differently when they've made a policy mistake and seemingly we have to wait for them to make their adjustments? Uh, well, I think really primarily that's a question for the European Union. Uh, Germany is still a member. We, of course, are, are not. Uh, but I think also everything we do now builds on what went before. We learn from what went before. Uh, we learn how to do things better. Uh, that's a continuous process. Ambassador, thank you for your time today. Ambassador Karen Pierce there. This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on The Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. 
title sponsor, Amazon, official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.